0: welcome to the home assistant podcast this is episode number 66 today we're talking 0.109 and we're chatting with matt so as usual we have phil hey phil hey how's it going good and we've also got matt how's it going matt hey
1: this episode is sponsored by home assistant cloud by Nabucasa. easily and securely access your local home assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the home assistant project Configuration is via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or YAML. All
0: right, so let's jump right into it. 0.109. There's a couple of cool new things here. So there's a new integration config page. Have you seen that,
1: pal? Looks amazing. Like, remember last time I was we saying how icons were going like, to, I was really pleased about icons coming in? This is. Yeah. Like, now it's starting to really take place.
0: Yeah, it's. I I I think it looks really nice. I haven't actually. I'm just. I'm just looking at it from the from the preview. I, I updated mine last night, but I didn't have time to actually go through it. But it, it mm. looks really slick. So that's awesome.
1: Another new UI update is there's a few updates to the weather cards. There's a brand new weather card, and I'm hoping this will be more, uh, especially with the dark sky, you know, closing down next year. Hopefully, this new weather card will be a bit more applicable to other weather services as well. But looks pretty nice it looks you know nice and colorful so yeah if you're using um love lace or as a a dashboard then that'll be a very nice improvement for you
0: yeah also there's some new logs for adding integration so anytime it causes uh stability issues or anything like that there's actually logs around that that's being added so you can get a get a little more uh, insight into it and when you're troubleshooting you can give some of those uh, logs as well to the devs and whenever you're you know, if you put any issues in GitHub, anything like that, it's more information for you to give in there so that hopefully they can find a, a find whatever
1: is causing that problem. This is good. I don't know if you guys have had it, but I, I've noticed a, a few times where my home assistant instance will lock up for, you know, however long it is. And there must be something just like, you know, an automation's running or causing too much memory usage on the whole system. It just locks. I find that I have my I pull my ring video camera to make sure it's still online. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe actually just the last night I got a an alert at three a.m. that the ring video camera had disconnected from the Wi-Fi, but it hadn't. It just turns out that Home Assistant couldn't t- detect all the device trackers on the network for something. So something is yeah very it's causing a few stability issues for me, and I'm I'm hoping that with these new logs I'll be able to go in and say all right three a.m. I got that alert. Let's take a look. All right, sure enough there was this integration was causing issues, and I can forward it on to them. Yeah. Uh, another inter- another feature that's come back is scenes are uh, now supporting transitions again so uh, if you have two scenes and they've got you know the same light in them and let's say you go from scene one to scene two and you put a and you call the I think it's the scene.turn on or scene.apply service and you put in a transition time that will then be passed down to the lights as well so therefore you can use you know, the transition to fade from you know red to green if the tra- two scenes have those. Details in them. So good to see that coming back in and sort of gives scenes a, a bit more of a, a nice touch to it.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you know if there was a reason it was removed? Was it not working properly or did I people think just not want I'm, it? What
1: was that? I'm, I'm guessing originally a lot of things, you know, for example, like your air conditioner or a switch maybe can't support transition. And if you did pass it to a scene, it would just pass that data to every service in the scene and it could potentially cause issues. So I think they just erred on the side of caution, removed it all, and now they're like, well, hang on, let's, let's bring it back and just only push it down to what supports transitions. Interesting. Okay. Could be wrong, but that was what I'm guessing would be the case.
0: Yeah, yeah. Huh, neat. All right. Um, Discord integration. So now you can have uh, direct messaging if you use Discord or if you use that integration. Um, so instead of putting it into a channel or whatever, you can have it directly message you which is uh, pretty handy, I guess. I, I mean, it, to me, I'd rather the one-on-one kind of thing, but uh, uh, not that I use Discord as a method of notification, but uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's good to have, I think.
1: Yeah, but I'm guessing if you've got a family Discord server and you right. only want a notification to, to you and not have to bug the whole family via a, a room, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Asus WRT has now added a new uh, sensor. It will now show you the number of devices connected to your network so that's cool if you want to maybe do some automations based on presence you know how many phones are connected to the network or you know if devices are at if 10 devices are connected to the network that means at least two people are home for example uh, and also it'd be cool even in your grafana graphs as well to log mm-hmm. that out
0: talk about some breaking changes now there's a lot of integrations that can now be set up through the ui so as part of that <laughs> Obviously, that means stuff might break. So there's there's a few different uh, sensors or so on and so forth that are kind of will cause issues. Um, so like the flu near you, the Synology DSM, the National Weather Service, Roomba, the Panasonic Viera TVs. And, and there might be a couple more check the list. Have a read through, and uh, if there's if there's something broken, then then this might be why. So have a look at that, and uh, make your decision based on that.
1: And another breaking change for SmartThings: so you can no longer use the SmartThings Classic mobile application yeah. to install the Home Assistant Smart app. And I know, uh, Rohan, you do you still use SmartThings? when you use I to? do, I yeah. do.
0: I I it's still my it's still for the for the I guess the four Z Wave devices I have left. <laughs> it's uh it still acts as a radio and and i actually just had to repair it again or reintegrate it with home assistant right and uh yeah i did have to do the use it with the classic mobile app and stuff which i actually would rather not because to me it's uh hey flip devices flip devices i'd rather just do it straight through the web yeah. so i'm okay with this breaking change but i i don't, I don't think this will break the actual flow because I don't i don't actually interact with the app i actually have the app uninstalled for the longest time. I think what's Mm -hmm. breaking is the install experience.
1: Yeah. So moving forward, I think if you've already linked your smart things and home assistant together, there's nothing you need to worry about. However, if in the future, you know, you may reinstall home assistant, or you may go to you know, re- or you want to do a SmartThings integration for the first time, you'll have to do it through the web. You, if, you you know, maybe there's an old blog article you're reading and someone's mentioned that they had to use a classic mobile app, that's no longer supported.
0: Yeah, yeah. The recorder component. So basically purge interval has been deprecated within the record component. So basically what will happen is every night, a home assistant will purge your database nightly at 4.12am. Why 412 412? No idea, but
1: <laughs> maybe 420 would have been better. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, uh, but I mean, at the same time, it's, it's, I actually don't think it's a bad, uh, bad use case. I, I do use the recorder component and I do have flushing every, I think I have it flushing every two days or something like that. I don't mm-hmm, remember. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I found that it, you know, my database otherwise got. Way out of whack and it was massive with you know every motion sensor trigger and this and that and all that stuff. So I think I think it's a good uh, good use case to do that. You can still control when the manual uh, when the database is purged. You can do that manually uh, by calling the recorder.purge service. So just have an automation, and if you want to do it more often than nightly at four twelve a.m. maybe, uh, then you can call that service.
1: So I think it's fair to uh, just point out that there are two settings that control the recorder component. So there's one, which was the old purge interval, which would control when Home Assistant would delete. And there's another one that actually dictates how many days of data to keep in Home Assistant's database. Ah, so, uh, good point. So sorry I might yeah. have been confusing I then. Yeah. So I think you can so I think by default Home Assistant will track 10 days worth of data in your database. And instead of now purging, you know, every couple of days, every day at 12 at 4:12 it will go in and delete you know any data that's older than 10 days from your database just so right. you always have a consistent size in your database and it doesn't get too big
0: yeah which makes sense it's more predictable too right if you especially if you're on a uh, smaller sized sd card or what have you mm.
1: all right matt well this is this is the time we get to really pick your brain so well, I guess we should start another New Zealander on the show always good to have the southern <laughs> hemisphere represented so thank you for that oh exactly
0: I, I exactly. gotta say we've had we've had more New Zealanders than 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 not lately I think
1: I know right <laughs> so we got your email and uh, I guess maybe just introduce how you're using home Assistant, because it sounds Really cool. Yeah.
2: Um, so, hey, I'm Matt. And there's like, basically, I had a summer internship at a um, engineering place called uh, Jackson Industries. And um, what my um, manager, boss, person, um, he's been a listener of the show and he's sort of been interested in the industrial application of Home Assistant for a while because there's sort of a lot of solutions that do Home Assistant sort of-esque Functions mm-hmm. that are tens of thousands of dollars in sort of an industrial, very uh, bespoke kind of a way, um, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Okay, here's here's the Raspberry Pi that I grabbed from my junk drawer at home. Go see if you can make this work using like Arduinos and controlling our like tens of thousands of dollars CNC plant, basically." <laughs> um, <laughs> And that's what we did. Um, we had 10 weeks. And what we did was we created a front end, a databasing, error recording, and basic sort of job control things. We used the ubiquity cameras that are put in the, sorry, I'm making sure I get the terminology right, the picture elements cards. So um, I'm not sure yeah. if you guys can show, can show the image that I've sent to you.
1: Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for sure.
2: Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Okay, sweet. Um, yeah, so on there, um, if you're looking at that, you can see all of the different uh, ubiquity cameras on there. That actually took a mm-hmm. little while to do. For some reason, it was fighting us the whole way because we could get them as individual cards themselves, but to get them as independent elements on the picture elements card was quite a bit of a pain. Mm-hmm. Like that one card itself, because it's got so many elements on it, um, mm. was like hundreds of lines of, um, of YAML long. Yeah, and myself yeah. not being a coder, I was absolutely bashing my head against the wall for a lot of it, but hey, it's a learning experience. <laughs> it was rewarding, I suppose, I guess, um, everyone that's sort of onto this platform and into the um, into this and obviously listening to this podcast is like, um, I guess, used to that sort of that payoff once you actually get your stuff to work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just looking at your yeah, uh, the, really the, screenshot you've shared and... Uh, is this also this is all from the home assistant front end you this is all done in like yaml and Lovelace
2: um yeah 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 Yeah. so so I'm a freelance graphic designer so that basically mm-hmm. um, has allowed me to kind of beat the um, picture elements card into doing what I want it to basically yeah. hard coding <laughs> everything um, so okay uh, so so the way you should look at that is there's a overall picture which is the main bit which is all of the non-moving text as well as outlines for everything in gray and then on top of that i've over on top of that i've overlaid the statistics that you see in the top so those are pulling off of the postgres server that we have so everything using the recorder function that then points to a postgres server and then we're using sql queries to then generate numbers um as sensor states and then displaying those sensor states back on the front end um and that's what those ones are Um, then we've got the cameras which are ubiquity things like the whole plant is um got a big recorder, hard drive, database-y, not not, mm-hmm. not sure what the correct terminology is, but they've got a whole mm-hmm. big camera setup that we kind of tied into. And then they use Reich, which is a, um, a sort of an industrial job planning software. And we use their um, API to output the job names. So we've, um, we've crossed them out there just for privacy reasons, but basically that would show, as an example, Emirates team New Zealand something job one or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would basically update every time it logged another one on that particular machine. So uh, they oh, have, right. um, yeah, yeah. So the machines are, la- um, are numbered one, six, eight through 13. And so what happens is if the spindle is tricked, because we have uh, controlinos, which are 24 volt big industrial Arduinos with um, Ethernet and a whole bunch of like big booty relay ports. Yeah with all of those we can set error states as well as like on states if that makes sense so like Mm-hmm. Um, we have them tied to the to the main relays of the machines, so you can see there that like some of the machines are green, which means the spindle's running, um, and then you can see the little dotted line. Okay, the machine's running. There's a little picture of the spindle, and that's what job it's currently cutting out. And then below that was the time started or the time stopped. So the whole reason why they wanted this as well as a business integration was for sort of efficiency and um, and I guess job throughput. Kind of a kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, we were talking to Cam, just as we were, uh, Cam, who's again my manager, that it has brought a lot of value in the sense that, like, if a job stops between midnight and nine AM, they can tell exactly when it was. Um, they can tell exactly when it was um, stopped, and hopefully uh, with a little bit more development,
0: why it was stopped. That's cool.
1: Right? Yeah. So so basically, in the middle of your Lovelace you've got. All the, yep. the green and, and red elements, I'm guessing they're machines. Yeah, yeah. And so the green yep. and red updates with their status. So that's really cool. So yep. so I'm guessing, you know, compared to a, a home, you know, this would be like a floor plan and mm-hmm. you've basically got, yeah. you know, the state of, you know, what, what the machine's doing. If it's green or red, it, it's okay.
0: Yeah. There's a yellow error state too. Yeah.
1: And then from that, you can see the cameras.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of this was to kind of get something that you could look at in, in a glance, I suppose. Um, Mm, because like when something's running versus when something's not, if you're charging a couple thousand dollars per like machine hour, then, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing what's good and what's taking a couple hours for your CNC push button, like CAD monkey to press go on, then it's like, as soon as you can, you know, start adding up those five or 10 minutes everywhere, then that's sort of, that's where the real value comes in for this, um, for this equipment. Um, also, um, There, I forgot to mention, um, half of the reason why this was started was because they had a bit of a job that ran overnight. That they um, had a little bit of an accident with, and there was a um, a, a not insignificant fire. And basically, oh, what oh this no. what this what the software um, was aiming to do was see that there's an error state or an alert state. So, okay, there's an error. Then send a message to one of the managers. Manager then checks the um, online Nabucasa portal to this and then it's like okay machines on fire emergency stop so with the tie-ins of Nabucasa as well as the relays you can basically Mm. remote stop the machines from anywhere in the world which is um another big plus for this application
0: that's cool that is really cool so so this is basically your you know this is the brains of of the operation right so it's it's uh it, 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 what's really cool is i i so i used to have uh, a lot of manufacturing customers in the past and and this is actually something that they've invested you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars in mm. right into a, into a system like this right and, and sure maybe it's a different scale or what have you but yeah. uh especially for a small shop, this is actually really, really cool. And this doesn't even look that small, to be honest. It, no, it, no,
2: it's, it's yeah, no, like, Jackson's a fairly big company. But this yeah. is, yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised we, we were able to, like, jump into the control boxes of these gigantic, like, tens of thousands of dollar machines. <laughs> um, and, like... It's
0: not, it's not that difficult, trust me. What, one thing I've learned through my experience <laughs> where I work is... These things are all exactly the same. If You can get into one, you can get into a hundred of them yeah, <laughs> anywhere yeah. in the world.
2: Well, uh, yeah, th- th- they were a little bit dark when we um, when we shorted one of the main um, uh, uh, feed rate um, yeah. uh, things. But <laughs> apart from that, we, we we didn't blow too much stuff up, which was which was a win. <laughs>
0: that's that's pretty good. It's uh, have you have you? I know I know. There is a lot of folks that are actually taking this and, and even further down within the uh, within the CNCs and any other PLCs mm. and stuff that they have, and, yeah. and they're going like controller level and right and then there's i i mean i mean this is getting really deep into one specific topic so i apologize for that but yeah it's is is there plans to do that or are you doing that today like in terms of like every single little thing to say hey you know what down the road this might fail in 10 weeks
2: yeah um so One of the other things that we were sort of, um, apologies if this is kind of tangential to your question, but um, there's um, one issue with CNCs, especially in big industrial ones, like you can see um, the big red one at the top of the screen, that machine is Mm -hmm. 10 meters long. Mm. So if you've got a change in conditions, um, then your material can actually shrink or expand. And so one of the other value propositions of this was to say, okay, we had our part a couple mil undersized from what it should have been when the programmers were um, doing the tool toolpaths. Um, what was the humidity and relative, like, weather and environment conditions right. within the factory so that you can actually start um, getting some idea as to how the environment changes the accuracy of your part. Mm-hmm. And that that is something that has been an issue for uh, Jacksons previously.
0: Yeah, because there's definitely definitely an environmental aspect to that too, mm. right? Yeah, uh, moisture, temperature, all of that stuff. As especially mm. with metals, as they expand, contract, and and so on. Yeah, yeah. No, that that is very cool. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, manufacturing companies that kind of they, again, like I was saying, they try and do that predictive piece, right? Uh, yeah. More more because, and, and and I'm sure you know this. A second of downtime costs, you know, how many ever like the, oh, the chain absolutely. reaction of that cost can cost millions of dollars, right? Mm. Yeah. So no, that is, that is very cool. And, and, and just, again, more out of curiosity, have you, have you taken this kind of experience that you did, did professionally and kind of moved that to uh, your personal life too, or?
2: Um, Yeah. So I've always been kind of a tinkerer at heart. So I, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this morning I'm pulling an engine out of a van and putting it in my little um, self-contained tiny home van thing um because i blew the engine up out of the old one and i'm um i'm trying to integrate a little bit more arduino monitoring into that so um a lot of people do um biodiesel conversions for those so um what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to get um relative fuel consumption and then just engine monitoring off of it so i've bought like temp sensors as well as like flow rate sensors and um i'm gonna try and get some sort of logging into that um but my next sort of uh, I have bought a Raspberry Pi of of, of of my own. Well, another one that I haven't blown up um, <laughs> to, um, to to go and do something. But um, with the um, with the makerspace um, that I work at closed down, it's a little bit hard to get in and use the laser cutter for like mounts and stuff. I mm-hmm. yeah. oh, yeah. uh, shout out to Unleash Space at the University of Auckland. It's a it's, it's a great time if um, <laughs> anyone's keen to come and chat in person. For sure. No,
0: that's awesome so yeah. so it, it sounds like we're gonna have to get you on another episode once once that's done and then and see how all <laughs> that's gone too yeah yeah um like
2: it's it's very interesting i suppose because i i didn't know home assistants existed before cam was like oh hey hey boys try this um so yeah, yeah, it yeah. was like <laughs> it was good being thrown in like head first basically um mm-hmm, sure. and there's such a big community behind it that it's i guess it's a, a I guess a testament to the platform um that it's managed to i guess congregate a bunch of really cool really intelligent people Mm -hmm. and it's i guess it's just like anything that's quite open platform and that when you're looking for your one obscure problem with your one random error code you get linked to a forum from four years ago that doesn't really end in anything valuable. as yeah as more people kind of jump on the platform and experience that i guess people like yourselves um are then, I guess, incentivized to go and make like comprehensive guides to you know like the most up to date uh, ways of doing things and methods and all of
0: that. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it is one of those things where again, especially with this kind of stuff, the community is 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 huge, right? The, the mm. I, I don't think, and, and and I'm fairly certain that the developers, or the core guys, also agree with me on this. Is that I don't think the product would be what it is without without that community, right? Mm. So. Yeah, it's definitely definitely cool, and 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 this is such a cool use case. Like, I'm I'm still um, so so again, like I said, I I used to, I'm I'm not an industrial like OT mm. uh, person by any means, but I, I've always you know had manufacturing customers or customers that had to deal with all this stuff, so mm. I always take a, a little bit of an interest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- I think i know enough to be dangerous with that kind of stuff (laughs) but you know it's it's still cool to see how how this kind of machine automation and 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 just monitoring and all that stuff is uh you know make makes a big difference right to to a company
2: Mm, yeah um and it's been it's been cool in the sense that it's tied in a whole bunch of different branches of the company like we um i was talking to cam as like a um a wind down for this project and we had a talk about scope, and there's a whole bunch of other, I guess, um, throughput metrics that, that could be captured with this. Um, like they have mm. these big robotic arms that do, um, they do rotor molding so you take your liquid plastic in a mold and you kind of turn mm-hmm. it around and spit it out kind of thing. With, um, I guess, replicable processes like those, um, it's quite valuable in the sense that you can make a, 10-second adjustment to a toolpath, and then you can see that sort of in the um, Postgres database, like your instance of like part throughput would like, you can actually track that a little bit more. And this is only one of the pages. We've actually got um, individual machine pages um, with all of the emergency stops, as well as the fan suction table stops and then we have more like a, a like a secondary data table with more like Grafana graphs and stuff like that. Yeah, so right. we've got um oh, we've got other I guess displays of data. It's not just this page that you see. Um, but yeah.
1: So in terms of getting the data is. Home assistant yeah. responsible for polling everything and then putting it into those Postgres databases, or is it get the data um, out from yes. somewhere else? And- um,
2: yeah, so you'll have to um, forgive me because it was a couple months ago that I did this. So right. hey, excuse That's me if fine. I get any te- if That's I get cool. any terminology wrong. Um, but basically, we've got our Controlinos that are acting as little. Um, uh, well, we started off with Node MCUs as our little like test case mm-hmm. things. And then we set them up as sensors, so it's like, oh, pin pin thirteen is high or whatever. Um, and then we set that up as a sensor, and we basically did the exact same thing there on our controlinos. Um, to then show on the front end as a sensor or a switch, because th- th- there are several types of sensors within Home Assistant, each of them having their pros and cons, and effectively mm-hmm. all of them just being representative of a different change in state of a particular thing. So you can set up a sensor to be a switch or a Boolean or an input, yeah, an input Boolean or uh, whatever else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the different data types, you're basically more able to control what the output has or, mm-hmm. or sorry, what the output is in the database. And so that means that you can right. kind of make the, make the data when you're using it a little bit uh, easy to work with, should I say? And yeah, th- that was something that we spent a lot of time on just kind of changing it from one to another so that we could have um, your machine state. Um, like as an example, the, um, the, the red, green, yellow on the, um, on the front end there, that's its own sensor. And that sensor is a gateway of three different sensors. So it'll have like a, a machine temperature sensor, a spindle sensor and something else. Right. And those will control a, like an arbitrary non actual physical um, sensor within the home assistant platform. And then that will then mm-hmm. trigger the, um, the change in color. And it was just the little processes like that, that we tried to put in to make the um, platform a little bit more flexible. Um, in the sense that like if we had your spindle always just uh just making the green icon show up then if you had your error and then it started as well then your um error would then be buried under the um under the thing right right
1: yes yeah so you got to make sure that the the areas have higher priority over the other ones, and make sure like basically your case statements are in the right order.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that was, um, yeah, those case statements were were just used to um, make sure that we had an overall reflection of what each machine was doing, and then we also had the individual sensor data from the individual machine on its own sensor,
0: if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. So, so when you when you built this, so yeah. so let's say this is Matt Day Zero walks yeah. in, project gets handed to you, yeah. How how did you how did you go about doing this? So did you say okay, first I'm just going to connect up all the sensors, see what I can pull into Home Assistant, mm-hmm. and then do that after, or was it kind of the other way? Or like what what was the process there? If if somebody um, wanted to do this themselves, mm-hmm. how would they how would they get started?
2: Um, so it was quite good in the sense that um, Cam had a lot of base knowledge around this so any sort of Mm -hmm. individual niggly queries that we had we could kind of direct to him for the first maybe week or two and then we kind of surpassed that (laughs) um yeah but um so so the way it worked um we got thrown the thing we got it online on day one which i was absolutely stoked about um it was a little bit daunting (laughs) Um, only because uh, I guess because um, I'm not a programmer by any means, like I study psychology. Sure, so all of this is, I guess, a the way I explained it to my friends when I was like when I went home frustrated at the end of the day when my code wasn't working is that all of it is just yeah. an elaborate like Rube Goldberg machine where it's like if one thing isn't passing something <laughs> to something else, none of it works. Um, yeah. and so, um uh, about a weekend, we got our little node MCUs talking to each other and remotes um, changing. We just got it changing like dumb little LEDs over the um, business network. Mm-hmm. From there we tied into the existing Contralinos, so they have a big Extraction unit that already had um, Some of them in there, and then we had um, Various iterations of front end Until we sort of discovered new and different Features, like we really only put the um, the Nabucasa thing in In the last sort of three weeks of the project Because we didn't know it existed before that Yeah, And um, yeah th- th- There were just lots of little things where it was like Okay, um, this one's good, but can we Do it this way, and kind of sculpted it to Be something that was functional but also aesthetic, like, um, for example, the front end, that uses, like, company colors, company fonts and company, like, uh, style guides and all that sort of stuff. And I feel like right, yeah. just that level of just that level of polish on the end product makes it seem a little bit more valuable than, um, I guess, just your standard Lovelace front end with your one or two little yeah. automatic cards. And, yeah, so um, we kind of surpassed the... Oh, uh, what is it, the the, the Lovelace um, like auto mm-hmm. card generation thing, like where you, were you yeah, press the yeah. little plus button on the bottom right, we went straight into YAML mode like five weeks or so into it, just because yeah. we, I guess, passed the limitations of what the initial one was working, uh, um, was able to do for us, but it was awesome in the sense that you could press that little button have the little drop down menus of all your sensors and have something going straight away so it was great to be able to jump back and forth between them and go, okay, why isn't my stuff working? Go right back to the way that the um, the little plus button thing auto-generates it, have a look at that YAML code, and then go, okay, this is where it differs from my one.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's cool. You can use the builder as like a debug tool. That's really cool. Yeah, definitely. So is this UI, I'm guessing in their office, they've got it up on a big screen somewhere like on a TV yeah, yeah. that's just constantly being yeah. monitored?
2: Yeah, yeah. So they've got um, one that's down in them um, in the sort of ad toolpath kind of area where they have all of the mm-hmm. people making the um, all of all of like the tolling and all of those decisions, and then yep. they're also uh, they've also put one upstairs in the sort of main, I guess, sales office because that's where all of the sort of higher admin are and the people that are sending the mm-hmm. jobs downstairs. Yeah. And so, um, it's useful for both of them to be able to go, okay, machine 13 is now like it's, it started like a couple hours ago. Um, and yeah, it started at this time and the runtime is approximately X. So, um, it should be done by now or something.
1: Has home assistant got any control over any devices at all at the thing? So for example, let's say a fire is detected. Does home assistant have automations in place to shut? machines down if it needs to or would that be like a phase two
2: yeah that that's definitely a phase two so um when we when i initially got cons uh, consulted on this um internship it was it was initially for a fire suppression system um that we would be mm-hmm. developing because of the problem explained earlier um but then there was either that or doing this and so obviously not being a fire technician or any of that <laughs> this the, this kind of um this kind of Uh, turned into what it is now um but there is scope that we were looking for either co2 sensors or sort of thermal um thermal sensors to be integrated into that um but at the moment um we have it completely um completely passive in the sense that it will it will throw an error and it will say hey look at something but then all it's going to do is point the big turn the thing off button in front of you um Mm -hmm. it's not going to you know, uh, it's not going to do it itself at this stage.
1: Yeah. So a human is still going to have to gotcha. do something in order to, yeah. for an action to be taken. Yeah. Which I'm guessing when you've got big machines like this, probably are on the side of caution.
2: Yeah, definitely. Because um, we did have a reasonably big issue where um, with some of the machines we couldn't, with our big error, kill this operation now kind of a thing. Um, some of the machines we tied into the feed hold button, and some of them we tied into the actual like uh, stop the process if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so um, it threw it through a couple errors when we would feed hold the machines because effectively all we were doing was stopping the stopping the spindle in what it was doing. Yeah, so yeah. We, we did run into a couple errors with that just in the sense that it's literally like an Arduino plugged into some big like industrial relays, Um, Mm. but with a little bit more debugging and a little bit more sort of optimization of the actual uh, controls uh, or commands that it's giving the machines, we can definitely give it a little bit more power over over that.
1: And I'm guessing, so you've got a whole bunch of Arduinos in these big machines everywhere. How were you able to integrate? So are they like obviously an Arduino needs its own power source. Have you got, you know, like power? Are you able to get power from the machine itself or have you had to run external power sources for those sort of sensors as well?
2: So the great thing about this was that a lot of the legwork had already been done for us. Um, We used Controlinos, as I say, um, and the business already had a couple of those um, that were just sitting on a shelf and were already used in other parts of of the plant. So all we did was we Mm -hmm. went, okay, what are they doing? How are they currently being set up as like Arduino, Arduino-based platforms? And go, okay, we'll just order eight or nine more of those. They're just twenty-four volts, so just plug it into the twenty-four volt rail on the um, on the big control cabinet of the CNC. Um, right. Give it its own relays that then control the um, that then control the machine, and you're away laughing.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So it basically becomes it just looks part of the the product anyway. Like it's out of the way.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, like the, like like they fit on the DIN rails. We got um, like yeah. they, they have big like DIN slots for them anyway. Like they're designed for the big um, like racks and control stuff in there. So yeah, we, um, the way that most of the setups worked, it was literally just you had a power, a ground. Um, a feed to the relay, and then um, on any of the machines that we had vacuum tables for, we had um, vacuum sensors that were plugged into the um, the vacuum tables, just a, a line coming off the um, – um, a, lo- a line teeing off the main thing and just going into the control cabinet that had a another thing so we could have um, vacuum table percentage, so whether the, the thing was on
1: or not. Mm-hmm. And so coming out of the other side, did you find – any limitations in home assistant like you know you wanted you had you know like this item on the checklist that you wanted to do but you just couldn't find a way to do it or anything like that
2: yeah um so the the good thing about home assistant i feel like is that anything can be done with enough suffering and enough like bashing your head against the wall (laughs) um like yep like, like like Like, as an example, I tried to use, um, I can't remember what it was called, but there's a fully built-in floor plan thing that you can use as one of your, like, screens on Home Assistant, and it's like, um, you just change one thing, and then it automatically updates. I tried to get that to work forever, and then it's like, nope, that doesn't work. I'm going to make all of these individual images, I'm going to make all of these individual things, and just shove it on a picture elements card, and it works. And so <laughs> I guess the only thing that we struggled with was a little bit of the um, debugging phase, I suppose, because um, as you guys are probably know, there's um, you can have these um, config files that are like megabytes big just of like all of your yeah. different like pictures and all of your like little tie-ins and if one of those all of a sudden doesn't work then all it does is give you the does not pass error or whatever it is on the little um it, it doesn't easily point you in the direction. Um, where you want to go, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, the, the only issue that I already had was debugging. Yeah.
1: To that, yeah, the, the right YAML line, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, but again, that is probably just me and my, um, my uh, the fact that I'm not very experienced in uh, coding anyway.
1: Well, I mean... It- P- 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 Proofs right here. I think you've done a pretty awesome job to be able to.
0: Yeah, yeah, you are now. So <laughs>
2: yeah, um, oh, um, yeah. Full disclosure: there was me and one other intern, and he handled a lot of the Python yeah. stuff. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely a team effort.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's work. Yeah, yeah.
2: The only thing that I could say is like <laughs> when. Well, uh, firstly, I really appreciate all of the people who put out content in relation to this because it's such an awesome platform and I'm definitely wanting to do more of it myself. Um, and people like mm-hmm. me couldn't do it without people like them. And so like, um, who's that guy, Yuan or Juan?
1: Yeah. Yuan Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. 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 He, um, his videos were so concise and so, um, great. Um, as a guide for this sort of stuff, people like that are really benefiting the community and I think they probably need to be applauded more, Um, but, you know... um,
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Well, Matt, thank you so much for sharing this awesome screenshot and this awesome use case for Home Assistant. I know Rohan and I usually, Mm -hmm. we we get to talk to a lot of people that are, you know, automating their homes, but we really do Mm -hmm. love seeing, you know, the edge cases that Home Assistant gets to do, you know, especially in commercial settings and all that, and this is buy one yeah but this has been a fantastic use case for home assistant mm.
0: yeah for sure awesome thank you thank you so much for your time Matt. yeah no worries thanks happy to be here cheers. Right. cheers Cheers.
1: if you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest reach out to us at feedback at io. that's h-a-s-s podcast.io
0: The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Caramandy. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.